0: Are you that afraid of the new era? Welcome to The Last Saga with your host Parvision. Today we'll be talking about chapter 1055. I wanna apologize for the delay in this upload. I got extremely busy this weekend. My Saturday was more intense than the YouTube reverie. I streamed and recorded One Piece for nearly 10 hours straight. I had a four hour stream with Marshall D. Preach talking about our Shanks theories. That was really fun. Then I recorded a three hour episode with the piecemeal podcast covering volume 63, which is titled Otahime and Fisher Tiger. I had a lot of fun with that episode. And then we ended the day with a watch party for for episode 1027 and it was my favorite seven minute episode because we're just gonna have to agree that the first 16 minutes didn't happen that being said, Chapter 1055 was one of the craziest chapter reactions I could have live reacted to. My Shanks video premiered right after the livestream and the details I talked about it in regards to water and Shanks' territory were insane. And because of Chapter 1055, I went through a giant rabbit hole regarding Pluton. But shoutouts to Dax Sake's Pluton is a Mole theory, it was a really great watch. I promise you all, it sounds funny and goofy, but he made this theory prior to Chapter 1055 and then 1055 made it even more believable. That That being said, I have my own theory and I'm gonna try and get it out as soon as possible. With that in mind, Chapter 1055 was definitely one of the coolest chapters. I paused on every page because nearly all of my thoughts connected back to this chapter. So that's enough talking about that, let's get into the chapter and this time I waited for the official translation so this will be a little bit more fun. And so if you're new to my channel, the way I view the world is by making connections. So let Let me connect connect you to to my vision, vision, the PAR par vision. So we know we're headed to a whole new world because this chapter is chapter 1055 titled The New Era. We are definitely in the end game of One Piece or at least it's starting now. So to sum up a lot of this chapter, I'm going to go a little bit out of order because I want to talk about each thing in blocks. And also I don't want to talk too much about some of the Green Bull stuff because I have a lot to say, but we'll get to everything for sure. So let's jump to Under the Palace, Kozuki Sukiyaki's secret chamber. So we see Law, Robin, Sukiyaki making their way downstairs. This is where the Law Robin ship has started to sail, by the way. But yeah, Sukiyaki says that though he didn't leak this info to Kaido and Orochi, it didn't matter because Jack the Fishman was able to discover the Poneglyph. Very quickly, we understand why. Once Law and Robin squeeze into the tunnel with the view of the outside, we see a Wano at the bottom of the sea. So Sukiyaki goes on to say, that is the Wano of about 800 years ago, a different Wano. It means just as I said, but what happened in the past is unclear to me. And then Robin adds, the fact that this is not seawater probably explains it's good preservation. Then we get a huge dump of info from Sukiyaki, who by the way said the past is unclear to him. But he goes on to say what it means is that there was once a Wano with an enormous Fuji mountain. At some point, great walls grew around the island and it filled up with rainwater. The people had to abandon their flooded towns and instead created a new island on the side of the mountain for a new country. And just for clarification's sake, the Wano we know is the Wano that is at the top. So, okay, let's walk this back. The understanding is that Jack as a fisherman was the one who discovered the road poneglyph at the base of Mount Fuji, but it's underwater and he has a devil fruit. So then how is he able to swim? I think the best answer at the moment was that he found it before he got the Devil Fruit. Maybe this is why Kaido had so much preferential treatment towards Jack. It was because he found a road poneglyph, which is one of four in the entire world. That's huge, and it's big enough that maybe Kaido even gave him the Devil Fruit as a reward for finding it. But that's just an idea. Another idea is that though Oda has said it doesn't matter what kind of water it is, Devil Fruit users are weak to bodies of water. It doesn't matter what kind of water even if it's a bathtub of fresh water, being submerged in it would weaken a Devil Fruit user. If you wanna know more of what I'm talking about, go check out my Devil Fruit Boats Float video on YouTube. That being said, there's a world where this water could be special, and I'll talk about why in a second. Just to point out something goofy, and I'm sure this is just something we'll have to accept and move on, but given how deep this body of water is, it doesn't matter daytime or nighttime, they should not be able to view this underwater Wano at all without spotlights. What's very interesting is that Robin says the town is preserved, which it is considering it's 800 years of preservation, but another issue here is that even if it were freshwater, it would still deteriorate after 800 years, especially after 800 years. But given that it is preserved, we do see a certain amount of destruction and broken architecture. This is a very confusing picture of Wano, and what's really really interesting is we see more giant koi fish, which is interesting because I think a big sentiment is that this is a big giant fish tank. And I just want to add my Godfather Shanks video went nuts because of this panel, and I literally paused for like 5 minutes to breathe because this like boosts so many of my theories. You all need to watch for that void century video that's coming up, but let's talk more after hearing what else Sukiyaki has said. Sukiyaki shows us the road poneglyph, just clarifying that official translations are still using road instead of load. But yes, this is one of the red poneglyphs and Robin is taken aback because this would be the third out of the four total road poneglyphs that the crew has finally seen. And so Sukiyaki says, we're now high up in the caves at the foot of Fuji. It is further down into the earth where the ancient weapon Pluton is said to rest. I've never seen it for myself and I cannot show it to you now. Sukiyaki, why are you teasing us, bro? Why can't we just see it now? But he says, in order to retrieve Pluton, the walls will need to be torn down. In other words, opening the borders means destroying the country's natural defense and unleashing an ancient weapon onto the world. Then it was confusing because Robin was like, wait, opening the borders will release the weapon? Why did Odin want to do such a thing? And Sukiyaki responds basically saying, that's all I really know, but who knows what Odin really learned on his travels abroad. Which we know that Odin learned the true history of the entire world, the Void Century. So now with all of this in mind, this is really interesting to me. I think the most interesting part to me is that Robin should know the details of what Pluton can do. The reason I say this is because I would imagine all the Poneglyphs that describe ancient weapons are parallel in nature. Robin learned of Poseidon's name, location, and the power Poseidon held to control the Sea Kings from the Poneglyph, and this is confirmed because Roger learned the same thing from the Poneglyph too. Those three things were on the Poseidon Poneglyph. So on the Arabasta Poneglyph, Robin learns of Pluton, and I think she learned the name, the location on Wano, and the specific power it holds. I'm not talking about the power destroy an island or it being a ship, those are all things we learned from sources who have not read the Poneglyph. Clarifying I'm not saying all of them are wrong, what I'm saying instead is that Robin should know the power of Pluton enough to the point that she could spot it if she saw it demonstrated, like she did when Shirahoshi used her ancient weapon powers Poseidon. But in this dialogue, Robin seems more confused than satisfied by what she learned. The other thing when it comes to Pluton is that I firmly believe that all the ancient weapon powers are going to be be misleading in the sense. They are named weapons, but who named them weapons? To me, Shirahoshi being named a weapon is misleading, right? But that's where we're taken back to the question of what Oda would define as a weapon. In chapter 192, the quote is, whatever its original purpose, anything can be used to kill people is a weapon. This was in Arabasta and in the same chapter that Pluton was first name dropped to us. It's actually the page just before this line. So when I went into my post-chapter brainstorming phase, I hit a few very interesting points and candidates for Pluton, which I'll bring up in a future video on my channel. That being said, I want to highlight the things specific to this chapter that stood out to me. There were so many things, and Robin, she was so focused on the water within Wano's bathtub. Does that mean Pluton is related to the water situation? When we talk about what sukiyaki said he says if the walls are broken then pluton is unleashed now if we think about this literally it sounds like there's no option for pluton but to be let loose if the walls are broken so if the walls break the main thing that would happen is the water would be unleashed now what's interesting about that is that this water seems to have preservation abilities or maybe there's something else So, many details are leading me to an understanding that this water is really special. Because even when you think about the walls being built around the island, the people had to abandon their lands in order to deal with the accumulated rainwater. But these are also the best architects in the world. Time and time again we are told that Wano is known for their carpentry, swordsmithing and anything when it comes to creation. I mean, these are the people who made the Poneglyphs, but they couldn't figure out a drainage system? So then that leads me to believe that either this wall was meant to keep water out or keep water in. The keep water out supports my flooding theory and more, but the keep water in seems more interesting in regards to Pluton. Now, another interesting point from our current understanding is that this water is constantly overflowing. So what is the source of the fresh water? We do know that Ringo is constantly winter and snowing. The seas around Onigashima are extremely volatile and stormy, but then on the other side of Kuri and Udon, it's like a desert and extremely dry. So somewhere in this ecosystem that Oda designed is some kind of explanation for the waters around Wano to constantly overflow and the fact that this is all fresh water. That being said, let's talk about before Wano in chapter 910 nami talks about how unnatural the winds are around wano the storms are swirling around wano too and creating the roiling unique wave designs that are signature to wano and i'm gonna make a video taking into account these details and more because i'm starting to get an understanding that pluton relates to this water either it's a clue or this water is special itself there's honestly so much to these panels that we have to sift through especially since pluton was said to have been built in water 7 but then even more the shipwright engineers who built pluton decided that it was too powerful and it needed a counter system so they developed blueprints of a pluton of either the same capacity or similar that could be built to counter the original pluton so whatever we're looking at here on wano there's some component that makes us believe that pluton can travel and also does pluton have to cross from water 7 to wano via the path to fishman island meaning it can go underwater but also it can be rebuilt or multiple can be made then on top of that whatever power it holds which we don't really know of yet is a power that can be used for good but also has the potential to kill people which makes it a weapon to be honest anything can be a weapon i mean i saw joker use a pencil as a weapon so who knows There's also another detail that's really important to include, which is that Odin wanted to open up Wano's border to prepare for Joy Boy's return, which also means that Odin wanted to unleash Pluton for Joy Boy before Joy Boy returns or as he returns. That kind of implies that Pluton is crucial for Joy Boy. Whatever it is, either we are finding out now or it's going to be another thing that loops around much later. It seems like Luffy is being recognized as Joy Boy and that term is being thrown around. Yamato and Momo are the ones who read the journal, but Momo is the one who heard Zunisha nearly say Luffy is Joy Boy. So I wonder what Luffy will do with the knowledge that he is Joy Boy, Odin is opening the borders for him, and that opening the border unleashes an ancient weapon that he is supposed to wield? I think it feels weird to leave Wano without knowing what Pluton is. So I'm going to say we're probably going to find out about it soon. So if I can't get my theory video out in time, I'm sorry, but also it might be that next chapter 1056 will be a cliffhanger leading into a reveal in chapter 1057. Whereas chapter 1056 being the special chapter with 5-6 or Gomu in it, maybe we'll get more of a Luffy, Nika, Joy Boy chapter next. Something of note is that yes, we have three road poneglyphs now, but the real situation is we have been blue balled by Robin. I know some of y'all are okay if it's Robin doing it, but we're currently behind on the two poneglyphs from Big Mom's Island that Brooke still has in his skull apparently, and the one poneglyph we just passed in Sukiyaki's chamber, and now this last road poneglyph. So we may actually get an incredible lore dump here that puts us significantly closer to Roger's knowledge and Odin's knowledge that they had prior to going to Laugh Tale. Maybe the information on these glyphs will give us significant information about Luffy's devil fruit or his power in general, but the other thing is the road poneglyphs are supposed to tell us where Laugh Tale is. The first one on Zo told us that combining the info from the four road poneglyphs will guide us to Laugh Tale, so that means these two poneglyphs will give us some sort of idea how how we're supposed to find Laugh Tale in the first place. Something I think most people are glazing over due to this Pluton conversation. But yeah, these two red poneglyphs might give us a huge clue about Laugh Tale's location. Is it underwater? Is it in this dimension? Is it in the shadow realm or underworld? Where is it? And we'll be that much closer to the story that made Roger and his crew laugh by the end of it. Which is a perfect segue because in a lot of ways this chapter made us laugh and brought us closer to Roger. Which is because of how Shanks rattled not just Greenbull but the entire community with his hockey display. We'll get to that. So let's start back at the start of this chapter and talk about this Ryokugu scene in one smooth sequence. So to walk through some of the fight progression, we see Momo continuously proclaiming that Yamato, the most competent fighter there, should not be involved. And I really love the dialogue coming from Momo this chapter. Momo is struggling and so are the scabbards, and we get a really powerful declaration from Ryokugu that he can be impervious to fire. He has this fire break forest. Now, we're not sure what kind of move this is. Some people believe this to be a passive ability he doesn't need to activate, but it could be a special move through his devil fruit that allows him to spawn plants that are fireproof and just by the way people laughed at me when i said there are actually plants that are fire resistant so aramaki might not be that affected and here we are we see exactly that but so we have yet to see a plant like this in one piece so people are saying maybe it's hockey related which is my elemental hockey agenda so no matter what i think the vision is 2020 all the bases got covered here Now, I don't want to talk about the super nitty gritty details in this podcast about the power interactions because personally, I have a few gripes about the way Ryokugu's Logia power is working and is displayed. Whether the scabbards are using hockey while fighting his roots is a whole different discussion, but so this is when we get to the more crucial part of the chapter in regards to this fight. So to address this, Momo's lines here are beautiful. He finally lets us know why he does not want Yamato to fight, and the reason is because he believes that if he relies on his saviors, the people now leaving Wano, then he and the scabbards will never be able to protect Wano themselves while their saviors are gone, and that is something that he has to be responsible for. Now these lines paint a very interesting picture because of how the chapter ends, but the major sentiment is that Yamato is 100% joining the crew, and it feels that way. At this point, I think it makes more sense for her to join, but we'll talk about that at the very end. So now back on Ryokugu, he starts out this section of the chapter saying it was Kaido's presence that kept him from coming to Wano, which sounds really bad for him. Then as an admiral, on the side of justice, he even commends Kaido's presence to a certain extent, saying that he did a good thing for Wano. Then he kind of goes on to say, bring me Luffy, once he has Luffy's head, he'll leave. And reiterating, he told Momo in the scabbards last chapter that he would kill thousands if anyone got in his way and try to incur more of a resistance and declared it wouldn't matter. That's where it gets a little awkward. Momo is here and showed us that he finally mastered his devil fruit to the point where he could fire boro blasts. But not just one, he did it twice, and in rapid succession. I was so mind blown that we actually made it to this point here. And the interesting part is, apparently, neither time was Ryokugu able to properly react to Momo's boro breath despite having a fire, break, forest move? So either that says something about his observation hockey, or just how much he underestimates others. We even see several panels where he is screaming in response to the Boro Breath. He actually looks like and sounds like he is in pain. And up until this point it truly did not feel like Admiral behavior. In Ryokugu's debut, he said that he couldn't be shown to struggle against Yonko commanders because he'd lose face. So then what do we say here? Regardless if you think he could overcome them by the end of it, which I could agree to if we take Yamato out of the picture here, but even now it does seem like Momo and the others are putting up some sort of resistance, which now makes the situation in Udon prison super interesting. But that being said, we weren't even able to see if Ryokugu could do more. We get the major page of this chapter, where we see Ryokugu get sniped by lightning, and we see it's Shanks doing this off the coast of Wano. This has to be miles away because it's outside of Wano country, outside of the fishbowl walls, and from where Shanks ship, where it doesn't even see Wano or the waterfall. There's so many interesting things here. For one, this is a brand new display of Conquerors, but it's something I have for a long time predicted would exist. So if I were to describe this power and how it works, Shanks has to have enough Observation hockey to sense Green Bull from that far away. Then he has to have enough fine control of his Conquerors hockey to be able to pinpoint Green Bull and blast him the way he did. So at the minimum, there is Observation hockey being used. And Conqueror's hockey. Now, what we also see is that just from the Conqueror's lightning, it's strong enough to rattle Aramaki. Like he doesn't pass out, but he is clearly affected by it. That means Shanks's Conqueror at that distance is strong enough to deter an admiral from acting on their own. Now we get to another interesting part where Greenbull somehow is also able to tell that it's Shanks without any kind of conversation. He even asks if they are here and what we see is what seems to be a response from Shanks that goes like this. Now, I'm not accusing you of fighting dirty, Navy man, but when the new shoots that just changed pirating history are exhausted from their feet, don't you think that what you're doing is a bit much? Are you that afraid of the new era? And then during that, we even see Ryokugu reacting to Shanks' word with his speech bubble with exclamation points. But after Shanks' speech, Ryokugu responds saying that he isn't looking for a fight, not yet, and says, fine, fine. From all of those context clues, it seems like they had a conversation of some sort. Or at the minimum, Shanks sent a message and it was well received by Ryokugu leaving. So let's break this down a little bit more. I had a video discussing this because I believe that Luffy accesses telepathy in chapter 1015. I have a video breaking it down saying that with Conquerors and Observation, you can create telepathy connections. The way I see it is, Observation hockey allows you to be a receiver, but Conquerors hockey allows you to become a transmitter. So unless you have Conquerors, you can't speak to other minds. When you think about this, this is a very Conqueror-like power to be able to speak your mind into other minds directly. Only a conqueror can do that. Someone whose mere presence is able to evoke a tangible message that moves you. Which is exactly what we're saying with Shanks. I describe it way more in that 3 minute video, but when Rayleigh described hockey, he said that there are upper limits even beyond the ones he described, and described hockey as colors of hockey. So I think it makes sense to believe there will come a day when these hockeys start to blend more. I also have a script ready discussing the concept of observation hockey more deeply in the context of imbuing observation hockey, like we have seen with Armament and Conquerors. It doesn't make sense that we couldn't do it with the third one. And there's one more thing on this topic that I want to highlight is that the concept of mind rope that I brought up in my observation hockey video I made in the past. The idea is that mantra essentially translates to mind rope, and if you think about observation hockey like it's a mind rope that connects you between two people, then observation hockey starts making so much more sense, especially when we talk about future sight. And I think in this instant we see that Shanks' mind rope attaches to Ryokugu, and then we see at the very end, which is that Luffy says he briefly saw Shanks' face when the Conqueror's hockey was on display. So that makes me feel like Luffy sensed Shanks's mind rope when that happened. And so there's one last thing I want to discuss, but let's close out the discussion around the chapter. One key point, it seems like Uta is canon. That silhouette was Uta in that one panel where we see Hiyori, Momo, and Luffy all as kids. At least I think so because, you know, it had the hair loops that Uta has. And then what other kid are we talking about in regards to Shanks? And Film Red is just coming out soon, so it just makes the most sense that that's just Uta promotion. But, so, another point is that Ryokugu leaves because of Shanks' hockey. it seems. But, it seems like Yamato and Momo believe it was due to Momo's actions that they won, which is an interesting situation, because to me, this doesn't exactly prove that Momo can protect Wano, but I know for a fact that he will try his damned hardest to do that. I mean, at the end of the day, he actually was boxing with an admiral. So, what more could the world government send? Actually, now that I think about it, it might be because of this situation that next time the world government interacts with Wano, they'll come Overprepared, knowing that they have another dragon defending Wano. This might actually spell disaster for them later on. And I want to just add this point I wanted to bring up earlier in that Momo succeeded in protecting Wano now. He said he wanted to prove that he could defend Wano without Yamato or any other's help. But then we see the situation that Shanks, someone outside of Wano, actually helped him here. So we might see a situation where Yamato recognizes that Momo needs his help and stays to help defend Wano because Will Will Momo take the role of defending not just Wano, but also an ancient weapon on his own? It might even be that Yamato is delegated to stay here by Luffy as a command. Yamato might forego the adventures to give Yamato the aid he might need. Anyways, that's just a counter perspective, but again, based on the story, it looks like Yamato is going to be joining. And I do want to put my opinion here, it feels like Oda was using Ryokugu as a benchmark after the Wano War, which drops my level of respect for this admiral because I do not think anything we've seen from him by this point felt super admiral level besides his devil fruit power. I feel like if Akainu had said he would stop at nothing for Luffy's head, we would see a completely different situation here. Aokiji and Kizaru had never had to eat their own words like Ryokugu had to do here. It would be fun to make a what if video about what would the other admirals do if they were in this situation, but I'll only do that if you all let me know if that's something you want to see on my channel. So now we get to the last page of the chapter. We see the party, but then we see Sanji, Luffy, Zoro, and Jinbei here watching the fight the whole time. They're proud of Momo and also impressed by the Conqueror's hockey. but they were essentially watching Momo and the Scabbards box with an admiral. And yet again, we get to an understanding that the way the Straw Hats treat admirals Ryokugus specifically is so different than ever before. Ever since Aokiji, the fear of an admiral was instilled on them. Then when Kizaru was a to no-diff the entire crew, that was another pain point. Then when Akainu rained down hell on Marineford and killed Ace, while Luffy was powerless, that was another source of PTSD. Each time, Luffy was shown that in the face of an admiral, he was powerless to protect those he cared about, every time. Yet, here we are at Chapter 1055 and Luffy is casually watching an Admiral fight his fodder friends and Yamato, and those fodder friends are not letting Yamato participate, so it just shows how comfortable Luffy feels he can be. Is this because they sense Aramaki through Observation hockey and understand that he isn't much of a threat anymore, compared to what an Admiral title used to hold to us? Something interesting about the scene that I'm confused about though, is where is Kid in this chapter? He should be able to sense Ryokugu too, and maybe he senses Shanks, maybe that's why he's not here. But also Usopp isn't here, maybe he can't sense the threat outside of Wano. And Law could be here, but he gets a pass since he's flirting with Robin on their history date. But, from everything we can grasp is that Luffy has grown exponentially since the time skip to be able to smile like this in the face of an admiral bearing down on his head. But I think Luffy is not as strong as what we might think. We have a new power ceiling given to us from Shanks, and I think we have to ask ourselves how close to that ceiling is Luffy? And though he has Nika's fruit and now has toppled Kaido with a fist that can arguably destroy an island that was coded in Lightning and Rio. I think still, Shanks is that far ahead of Luffy. I think Luffy will one day be able to do what Shanks is doing here, but we're not close to that yet. Luffy has just learned Conqueror's coding, but this display from Shanks is still something new to him. The reason I say that Luffy is far behind isn't because of what we saw out of the fight with Kaido or what Shanks did here, it's more so what Shanks said. So to repeat what he said, it was, Now I'm not accusing you of fighting dirty, Navy man, but when the new shoots that just changed pirating history are exhausted from their feet, don't you think what you're doing is a bit much? Are you that afraid of the new era? See, in TCB, they translated that part about new shoots as saplings. Both are pretty comparable in meaning. I asked Artur, Library of Ohara, what the Japanese kanji directly translates to, and he informed me that it was directly saying that Luffy is a new green leaf, which I really love that wording. And the conversation and reason I asked is because of a beautiful parallel I saw in chapter 511. But essentially, Shanks is saying they are a fresh new plant that has still yet to mature. And the wording is so powerful in this chapter with the forest forest fruit or woodsman fruit, where we see that Ryokugu goes into a sapling form with new green leaves. So it feels like this is a progress report for Luffy that is yet to become a full-fledged tree or plant and is still budding and growing and Shanks is the equivalent of a jewel tree atom. I don't know how much of a gap there is, but I trust Shanks in this assessment. I have no reason not to. But the reason why this felt like a progress report was because this paralleled nearly directly with Rayleigh in Chapter 511. This was on Saba Odi when Rayleigh saved Zoro from Kizaru's light kick. So to paint some of the parallels before the dialogue, we have a major event where the Straw Hats are coming out of, then we have an Admiral responding to the situation and trying to capture them, then we have a Roger pirates stopping the Admiral through their own means, and now let's get into the dialogue parallel as well. So Rayleigh says here to Kazaru, don't pick the buds before they sprout, their era is only just beginning. And so Kazaru's line before reminds me of what Shanks started out saying, but let's focus on what the Roger pirates are saying. Rayleigh says the pre time skip straw hats on saba were just buds that haven't even sprouted yet, which I think is accurate and we saw a hundred thousand reasons why that's the case, that Luffy was an ant in the storm of Marineford that made an impact through sheer willpower, but truthfully he did not stack up there. And now we fast forward to chapter 1055 and we get the update that while the straw hats have grown, they have sprouted now, and they're still just saplings, new shoots, or fresh new green leaves. They're much like this plant that Ryokugu turned into in this chapter, which makes me feel like the power gap is still very high between Luffy and the end stage that we're expecting, and Shanks might be our first glimpse at that end stage. This is why my elemental hockey theories feel so important. The fact that my extensions of Conqueror's Hockey came to fruition, most of the responses I get are, there's not enough time for all of these new powers. But I think this is literally the introduction to it all. This is our first step into the levels of powers our main characters are going to have to confront moving forward in the story and as we head into the last saga. I think this is the exact setup for what I've been harping on in that I think the last saga of One Piece is going to have a lot to do with nature and natural forces, and I think it's fitting that Oda has set up a progress report where I think chapter one was Shanks planting the seed. On Saba Odi, the buds were on the precipice of sprouting. And now finally, they have. Shanks says that they're new green leaves. But by the end of the story, our main characters, and primarily Luffy, will become a literal force of nature, or a big strong tree that can weather the storms that the world throws at him. I have to say it, Chapter 1054 and on has been such incredible setup for this last saga, and I'm so excited to continue to read this story. Chapter 1055 really hit home with my Godfather Shanks theory, and I can't tell you enough how excited I am to share my Void Sentry theory and hopefully the Pluton theory. So, I want to thank all of you for listening to The Last Saga with your host, ParVision. If you're a new listener, I have a YouTube channel where I primarily have theories and I'm just excited to talk One Piece. And hopefully I'll become a regular scheduled program for you from now until the end of One Piece. And so, like always, thank you for connecting with me and I'm looking forward to connecting with you all on the next ParVision.